Well, who wants to get happy? If you do, you can walk into your local newsagents and pick it off the, the shelf. This magazine is, is called Happy. It's your shopping Bible. And for those of you who are, I guess, unfamiliar with this particular periodical, um, yeah, it's the shopping Bible. If your kind of fundamental outlook on life is, I shop, therefore I am, then this is certainly the publication for you. If you're after kind of in-depth political insight and piercing wit, sharp analysis and comment on current affairs, then probably this is not the magazine for you. Just on the cover here, um, there's 153 handbags reviewed just in this (laughs) magazine. And you can win a year's supply of diamonds. Still, even flicking through this magazine, I have no idea what that means. I guess we, we look at magazines like this as, well, a bit kind of vacuous really, a bit kind of shallow and just full of empty promises. I mean, this really can't make us happy. I mean, of course, there's no way that reading this magazine, or even if you had anywhere near the amount of money needed to buy some of those handbags, whether that would make you happy either. It's, It's empty promises. But yet, our shelves and our shops are just filled with with magazines like this. It's it's a seemingly um, unsatiable desire, the the demand for for magazines like that, for for lifestyle, for shopping, for for happiness. And actually the the pursuit of happiness is, is huge business today. And as we think about it a little bit more, I think we'll see that actually happiness is a driving force behind most, if not all, of the decisions that we take day by day. And it seems to be right at the core of our nature as human beings to kind of long for and to strive for and find happiness. We make our career choices in the light of of what's going to make us most happy in the long term. When deciding who we're going to marry, we think, will so-and-so make us happy? We want to be happy. We want those we love to be happy. And I guess we're also very much aware that we live in a broken world. In a world that is not as it should be. We just need to open our newspapers or flick on to the news and we see war, we see suffering, we see injustice, we see conflict. For something that that we gear our whole lives towards and spend so much time and energy and money striving to achieve, happiness remains elusive and unobtainable. And that's true on on a global scale. We just need to look at the headlines this past week. to to see that. But it's true on a personal level as well. We experience the pain of being in a broken world. We experience the pain of, of broken relationships. We experience the pain 
of being in a broken relationship with our Creator. And at the same time, we experience that yearning, that desire for happiness. And that this world is not as it should be. Well, this morning we're, we're going to be looking at a personal psalm. This is the wisdom of someone who has discovered the, the secret of, of true happiness. And the message of this psalm of David gets to the very heart of, of the Christian faith and experience. Just look at verses 1 and 2. Blessed, or, or happy, it could be translated, are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, or happy, are those whose, the, whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. So those two verses set up very well what the rest of this psalm is going to be about. But for me, the punchline of this psalm is right there in verse 9. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle. They will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. The punchline, I think, of this psalm of David's wisdom uh, is, is this. If you want to be happy, don't be a donkey. And I want us to look at this psalm this morning in the light of, of, of that verse in, in, in verse 9. Because in, the, in that verse he says two things. Don't be like the mule which has no understanding on the one hand and secondly, don't be like the mule which has to, which has to be controlled or they will not come to you. And I think we'll, we'll unpack what David wants to, to say to us and teach us by thinking about those two things. So first of all, don't be like the mule which has no understanding. If we, if we, want, to, if we want to not be like the mule and have no understanding, we must therefore, first of all, understand what our deepest need really is. Well, when reading through the Psalms, we have the immense privilege of being able to look over the shoulder of the Psalmist's own personal relationship with God. And here we're looking over the shoulder of, of King David. I mean, last week we... We looked at the story of, of David's sin with Bathsheba and his response to God in Psalm 51. And in many ways there's a number of kind of similar themes and indeed the phrases in this psalm, in Psalm 32, echoing those of Psalm 51. And it's, it's not completely clear whether in this psalm David is referring directly to, to that story but it is clear that this is a wisdom psalm of David. There's a clear message that he wants to impart to us and to others. As he looks back on his life, as he looks back on the mistakes that he's made, this is, is, is his wisdom that he wants to, 
to, to leave with us. These are the things that are on his mind and his heart as he, as he penned those, those words. So as we've said, verses 1 and 2, I guess, set out the theme. And they kind of set the scene for, for what follows. And just look at verses 3 to 5 with me. In verses 3 to 5, we get David's deeply personal account of his experiences of coming to realise and understand what his deepest need really is. I don't know what you would say um, if someone were to ask you on the street, what, what is your deepest need? Perhaps a whole host of things pop into our heads when we think about that. Maybe, maybe money. Maybe health. Maybe husband. A wife. Maybe a, a house. Maybe world peace. End to poverty. I mentioned earlier that, that this world is, is a broken world. And the Bible is clear that this world is not as it was meant to be or created to be. And the Bible is, is equally clear that we want to live in this world without God, as if he didn't exist. Like donkeys, we, we lack understanding and we're stubborn. We want to go our own way. And that is exactly what what's at the heart of, of sin. This word that comes up in the Bible and is banded around so much and so often misunderstood. Sin is not just bad things that we do or say or think. They're just simply the, the, the outward symptoms of a much deeper problem in our hearts. In WNT and SNT, sin is, is us telling God to, to shove off, shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your ways. It's a very helpful way of thinking about what sin is. Sin is us telling God to shove off because we want to do things our own way. We want to live in a world without God. And the Bible is clear that, that God gives us what we want. And that's why this world is, is broken. If we want to reject the source of goodness, well then we'll have to live with evil. If we want to reject the source of healing, then we'll suffer pain and sickness. If we want to reject the source of hope, we'll have to face despair. And ultimately, if we want to reject the source of life, then we'll die. It's bleak stuff. The Bible is clear. We are created to be in relationship with God. Sin destroys that relationship. And sometimes, I guess just like David was here, we are acutely aware of that fact. Look at verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Some, some vivid imagery that David uses there to, to describe the process he went through in realising and coming to terms and understanding 
that his deepest need is, is to be forgiven. The, the guilt of his sin. And it's, it's, it's physical, the, the, the things that he, he lists here. It's, the, the, it's devastating, the, the kind of physical manifestation of the guilt that he's feeling, the regret. And his, his understanding and his consciousness that he's, he's, he's in a broken relationship with his creator. He's wasting away. His hand, he feels God's hand heavy on him. His strength sapped as in the heat of summer. And I guess we just need to think back a couple of weeks to remember all too well the heat of summer. Stuck in a traffic jam in a car with no aircon. Yeah. It's a very vivid picture that he paints here. The kind of emotional and physical um, draining that he goes through. And it's a very real experience for many people today. Guilt can take hold of us and just not let go. We can't live with it. We, we can't shift it. Sometimes all we can try to do is, is, is numb the pain with drink or with sex or with work. We just try and fill our time with so much stuff that we just don't have the time and space to be still. Because when we're still, we just can't get away from our guilt. I guess the problem of, of how to deal with our guilt has consumed us for centuries. People exhausting all different kinds of, of avenues to try and escape guilt or, or, or to try and deal with it in, in some other way. And tragically many find the only solution being suicide. So how right David is in verses 1 and 2 when he says how blessed, how happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. How blessed, how happy, how joyful are those whom, whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Well, David's clear to us that actually the first step to finding happiness and not being like a, a, a horse or a mule is to understand our deepest need. Do you notice in verse 3, when I kept silent, don't keep silent and do nothing. Don't try and ignore it. Verse 5 shows us the process that David went through to find that happiness and to deal with his guilt. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I guess that's something that's not easy it's not something that comes naturally for us to do but it's absolutely crucial the first step to us 
finding forgiveness, finding true happiness is understanding how desperately needy we really are. The question for us this morning, the first question for us is, is have we really come to that point yet? Because it's, it's possible to, to feel the weight of our guilt as intensely as David did right here. But just keep silent and do nothing about it. Why? Why would we do that? Certainly from my own experience, the reason, the biggest reason, the overriding reason why is because of pride. Pride has has been described as the biggest barrier to us entering into God's kingdom and into a relationship with him. Because we've seen already, we're control freaks, naturally. We want to tell God to shove off. We want to stay in charge. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to be told that we are helpless and needy. That's just an affront to our far too easily bruised egos. Our natural reaction when we're confronted with a mistake or something we've done wrong is to immediately try and justify it. Look at verse 2 and verse 5. At the end of verse 2. In whose spirit is is no deceit. And verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. In our pride we can sometimes just try to to cover up or deceive ourselves. Even in our own hearts. It's Jeremiah who said that the heart is deceitful above all things. But whether we're acutely aware of our desperate need and unworthiness before God, the Bible is clear, we, we need to be forgiven. Our guilt needs to be dealt with. So that first point is crucial. We need to understand what our deepest need is. And secondly, we need to understand that only God is able to meet that need. Verse 5 again, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. we, We saw last week in Psalm 51, David for for whatever reason, had not gone off to war with his people. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He'd arranged for the death in battle of her husband. But yet in verse 4 of Psalm 51, we read him, David, confessing to God that against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We've turned our back on our Creator. We've ignored Him. We've disobeyed His commands. And He is the only one who can forgive us for that. If I was to steal Richard's mobile phone and break it, I couldn't go to Peter Lever to ask for forgiveness. 
David understands all too well that only God is able to meet our need for forgiveness. And again in verse 2 and verse 5, it's not just lip service God's after. The incredible promise in this psalm here is that if we genuinely come to God asking for forgiveness, then we will find it. He's the God who, who searches hearts and minds. He knows if we're trying to deceive ourselves or, or cover up our sinfulness or just put on an act. But if we genuinely come to God and ask him for forgiveness, we will find it. And, and straight away as well, our guilt is dealt with the debt has been paid, the relationship is restored. Apparently this psalm was a, was a favourite of um, St. Augustine and he famously said of it that no sooner have, have the words been uttered than the sin is forgiven. And it's incredible to think that actually David is, is penning these words without the benefit of having to, to look back through the lens of the New Testament and understanding all that Jesus has, has achieved for us on the cross and, and all the New Testament letters unpacking all that. But here David sees with real clarity our deepest need as human beings is forgiveness. And only God can meet that need. But notice here in this psalm as well that that God doesn't stop merely with forgiving us. He doesn't stop with, with just mercy. Mercy is, is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We've rejected God. We've turned away from him. We deserve for him to, to, to just write us off and ignore us forever. The incredible truth that we see here is that, that, that God forgives us. But more than that, look at verses um, 6 and 7 and verse 10. Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Not only does he forgive us, which we don't deserve, he, he, offered, he gives us protection, deliverance, beautiful pictures here of, uh, of, of just God's grace to us. I heard a story recently about a, a fire in a, in a farmyard and uh, the story goes that there was, a, there was a hen in this particular farmyard and she surrounds her chicks, takes them in, covers them and uh, yeah, the fire rages, destroys many buildings and and animals and um, 
yeah, ravages through the whole of this farm. And many hours later, after the fire's kind of out and just kind of smouldering ash, and the farmer's picking his way through the debris, and he comes across the, the charred remains of this hen, and kind of picking it up, here's some kind of chirping underneath. And uh, those little chicks were still alive, were saved by the sacrifice of, of that hen. I guess it's a silly story really and um, inadequate when compared to when we're supposed to be illustrating God's grace and his mercy but I guess it gives us a little flavour of, of that that's the, the kind of picture that's offered here not just forgiveness but protection um, you surround me with songs of deliverance you are my hiding place incredible words and verse 10 many of the woes of the wicked but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him so David again is clear don't be like the mule don't be a, a donkey understand what we're really like understand what our deepest need really is and understand that God is the only one who can meet that need. So, so what's the punchline with all this? What, what's the, the therefore? Well, it's there, that second one. Look at verse 6 with me. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. God offers us this incredible chance for forgiveness and mercy and grace. All we, all we need to do is simply humble ourselves, come before him, confess and ask him for it. It, it really is that simple. Because it's that simple, David says in verse 6, Therefore, let everyone just pray to God while he can be found. If this amazing forgiveness is on offer, all we need to do is ask. Therefore, ask. Pray. Pray to him while he may be found. God doesn't want us to, to come to him like some stubborn donkey that has to be controlled by the, the bit or bridle in its mouth, that's refusing to, to be willing to, to come. To God. He doesn't want us to come to him kicking and screaming like, a, like an ungrateful spoiled child. He longs for us to just come to him humbly and willingly. And in verse 10, the contrast is, is pretty clear. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. If we truly see and understand our deepest need, if we understand that God is the only one who can meet it, well then surely we need to, to ask for forgiveness 
and in verse 10. We need to trust him that we are forgiven. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust in any, anything about us. We don't trust in our good deeds. We don't trust in our knowledge of, of the Bible. We trust him wholeheartedly. And I guess we, we just need to pause and think, am I trusting him for, for my forgiveness? Am I trusting wholeheartedly and solely in him? And in many ways, verse 11 is the acid test of whether we're really doing that, of, of what we're really trusting in. Let me read verse 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is David's natural response after he's, he's penned these words and thought these things through. His heart just overflows with joy and praise. And that's the, the acid test of our Christian life, of our walk with God. How thankful are we? Because as we, as we think about that, we're only really going to be thankful to God when we see what we really deserve on the one hand and on the other that only, only God is able to meet that need. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is our sin. If we think it's anything else we are sorely mistaken. If we could be saved by, by any other means other than by trusting in Jesus well then he died on that cross for no reason. So, how thankful are we? What are we really trusting in to find this happiness that we so long for? Well, David's pretty clear here. Don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him.